been watching too much TikTok. Hello, and welcome to the Sound of History podcast. My name is Nick. My name is Mika, and I can't find my chapstick that I wanted. <laughs> Do I have to go get you other chapstick? Oh, I'll just use this tinted kind. Okay. So I can be pretty. Well, this is a chapstick podcast where Mika teaches me all about the merits of chapstick. I could talk about that for a minute. <laughs> no, this is a music history podcast where I'm trying to teach Mika the story of music history. And I'm about as interested as you would be if I tried to teach you <laughs> about the different types of lip products. Hopefully a little bit more interested than that. Why don't you care about the things that I care about? <laughs> I'm kidding. Well, now is your chance because this is our show within a show where Mika just gets to talk about whatever she wants. It's time for Mika is the host now. I have no thoughts. I've you just told me you could talk about chapstick for hours. Yeah, and no now that you can. actually <laughs> wants to listen to that. So I'm not going to subject other people to that. Just you. Well, what's your favorite brand of chapstick? What's your favorite kind? And you can just My plug that. My favorite kind is the seasonal candy cane chapstick brand candy cane flavor that you get from your parents but i'm the one that actually yeah, likes it so like now they just flavor. give it to me and it's pepperminty and it's like plumping a little bit and it feels medicated but like it's not expensive i love that stuff okay it's so good cool. i don't have thoughts. well that was the chapstick plug <laughs> I don't know. Hey, if anyone is newly lactose intolerant and trying to be dairy free like me, um, oat milk froths really well. If you if you like can't figure out how to have like foam, the answer is full fat oat milk. But it's not good to drink a whole bunch of that in the morning is one thing that I learned from one person that cannot be like scientifically backed up because I haven't done that. But like apparently the glycemic index is pretty high, I believe is what it is. So like it just ends up being a lot of like, like it spikes your blood sugar and then you crash. So like oat milk lattes first thing in the morning is not the best idea. Okay. Per someone on the internet. <laughs> I have not reached, like not researched that at all. Aren't we all just someone on the internet to somebody? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Mika no longer the host now? I don't have thoughts or things to say. You excited about Taylor Swift's new album? It comes out in like a day. No, because that's all anyone's going to be <laughs> yeah, able to talk true. about for like five days. And I have thoughts outside of Taylor Swift, even though I have no thoughts head empty. <laughs> I like her. Yeah, Maybe I I'll, wish, it's probably going to be a good album. It's weird, but like I wish people liked her less because she's a good artist. I like her you music. You want her to have less like but, hype. <laughs> yeah, like the fact that everyone is just obsessed with her makes me be like, like she's not that good. <laughs> she's really good. So you can't enjoy it because I you're can't. like, she's great, but I don't want to talk yeah, about how great she is because I'm tired of it. I don't want to be a Swifty and like freaking out about little clues in her Instagram post. Like, I don't care. <laughs> It'll be fine. I'm sure. I will listen to the album next week and I'm sure yes. I'm going to like it. <laughs> I, I don't even know about that because I didn't like folklore. I so haven't listened to folklore, so I don't know that I'm going to listen to this album. So like if it's folklore-like, then I might not like it. But okay. Anyway, <sighs> Mika no longer the host now. I feel like I disrespected a fantastic artist. <laughs> no, you didn't. It's fine. I like her. Okay. Well, do you remember what we've been talking about this past couple episodes? 
we've been talking about disco and we talked about ABBA and we talked about it's ABBA, right? Right. And we talked about the Bee Gees. Yes. Good job. Thanks. And now we're going to talk about punk. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Good job. So, obviously, punk music is still a genre today, and we won't cover, like, all of it, the whole genre in this episode. We'll just kind of talk about, like, the beginnings and where it came from and, like, that initial explosion of punk music. I'm excited about it because we are both pop punk people, unashamed. (laughs) (laughs) So, what do you know about punk that's not pop punk? Not a lot. Not a lot. Anger, emotions. Yeah. I have emotions. Sometimes <laughs> I like to hear emotions. Okay. Yep. I mean, that, yeah. That Life is, punk. is not bubble gum. And I like to, like, you know. Ah! <laughs> okay. Sometimes. Well, punk emerged as a kind of successor to the rebellious attitude of rock and roll. By the end of the 60s and into the 70s, this rock and roll music that was for the kids was pushing back against authority. Okay, that was badly worded in my script. But basically, like, you remember how, like, in the 60s, the rock music was... Oh, mama, welcome to the 60s. <laughs> whoa, 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 Yes, I remember. You remember how it was very much rebellious. The parents hated it. It yeah. was pushing back against that. By this point in the 70s, the mid-70s, that kind of music started to become very tame. So they needed something to fill that rebellious, edgy void. That's what always happens. Yeah, basically. So what happened with jazz and then rock music came along and now it's happening with rock. So punk music comes along. Tommy Ramone, who was the drummer of the Ramones, said, quote, in its initial form, a lot of 1960s stuff was innovative and exciting. Unfortunately, what happened is that people who could not hold a candle to the likes of Hendrix started noodling away. Soon you had endless solos that went nowhere. That is so funny. (laughs) That is amazing. Yeah. Which is also very ironic because punk music is known, especially in this early time, as musicians who have no idea how to play their instruments and are just noodling away. So, (laughs) but I think he's saying like, basically like Grateful Dead type stuff where they just play endlessly and nothing is actually happening. Anyway, continuing the quote. By 1973, I knew that what was needed was some pure stripped down, no BS rock and roll. End quote. I'm glad that he could come in and fix music. <laughs> Many of the early punk musicians saw it as a return to the roots of rock and roll. Because a lot of them grew up on that pure 50s rock sound. So, The founder of Punk Magazine said that in the 70s, rock got so watered down that people like Billy Joel and Simon and Garfunkel were considered rock, which was a travesty at least according to them. Okay. Yeah. Like, if you care that much, I guess. <laughs> I have a feeling that I'm going to regret saying that I was like, <laughs> in the, like, it, I love the music, but I swear to God, everyone is a pretentious asshole. That's true of pretty much every genre. Yeah. Like, you're not going to find a genre that's full of like, humble, non-pretentious people. Oh my God. But some of them in this are like, there's definitely people who are <laughs> super pretentious. Just wait until we talk about the Sex Pistols. But can't s- wait. Some people are like generally like, yeah. But anyway, 
these people kind of started realizing that they needed to breathe some fresh air into the rock scene. Typically, kind of talking about the essence of what punk music is now before we go into the history of it, punk music is very stripped down. It features one or maybe two guitars, a bass, drums, and a singer. Through psychedelic rock and funk and other stuff, we saw rock music kind of balloon up to incorporate many different elements, like synthesizers and horn sections and all kinds of stuff happening. So this punk... Which I am a fan of. Yeah. (laughs) So punk stripped it all away. Punk was aggressive, full of energy, and often political. It was kind of rock's answer to the folk protest songs that were also getting pretty popular in the 70s. That's fun. Yeah. The songs were fast tempo and very short. The artists rejected a lot of what made mainstream music mainstream. Because if you were mainstream, you were bad. If you're mainstream, you are not punk. No, you sold out. Most of the early punk bands embraced the kind of do-it-yourself attitude, which let them exist on the fringes and find their own niche and build their own little audiences. It's kind of like early predecessor to what's happening now where people mm-hmm. can just like post their stuff on TikTok without needing a label and then get massive that way. Mm-hmm. Except none of these bands really got massive in their own time. Maybe the Sex Pistols did. Anyway. Okay, I put this in the script. You see that a lot with independent artists these days who are able to carve out an audience using social media, but it was much harder to do back then. It took serious dedication. I mean, not saying that it doesn't now, but there are like more ways to do it now than there were back then. Most of the major punk acts grew up in very urban environments like New York, Los Angeles, London, etc. So the energy made sense and it felt like a reclaiming of the inner city. Punk music grew to really define teenage angst in the same way that rock of the 60s did. It was the same attitude as like the Rolling Stones or Little Richard, just louder, more aggressive, stripped down, and a whole lot angrier. <laughs> At least in the music. Like I'm sure Little Richard was plenty angry. But Probably. Like he, didn't, he didn't make angry music, I wouldn't say. You feeling like you're gotten a, got a good grip? What punk music was? Yeah. Slash is. It's still very similar. Okay. Well, that's what it was. So let's take a look at where it came from now. You excited? Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Don't sound like it. (laughs) You remember how I said I had emotions? I also don't have emotions. (laughs) The foreground of punk was... I've never used that word, so that's interesting. foreground? (laughs) What were you on when you're right? What are you? What's happening here? I don't know that I've ever used that word. I think, I don't even know if, I think background is more, whatever. The initial elements of punk (laughs) was really laid by the garage rock bands of the 60s. Garage band? No, not actually garage band. They had garage band back then? (laughs) They had garage bands. Um, Like in, like in... Like in, hold on. I believe in you. Freaky Friday. Yeah, basically. (laughs) A lot of these bands, like the Sonics, just wanted to mess around. They were not trained musicians, and they really had no interest in learning how to play music correctly. They were able to break the rules of music because they didn't really care to even know what the rules of music were. That's interesting. Yeah. They were just literally like, it sounds fun to play guitar. So they just pick up a guitar and start playing it 
and just have fun with it. It's really weird how we like put rules to something that doesn't yeah. need to have rules, but then it's like you have to know the rules in order to know how to break them. And it's like, well, Not you really. could also <laughs> just like do it, yeah, if you wanted to. But, but it's, it's so interesting to like know the ins and outs. Yeah, because the rules I think are important in some aspects. Because like you have people who break the rules and it just sounds terrible. So it's like. There's a balance there. <laughs> like you have to break the rules in the right way. You have to have good taste. Like I'll never forget the video of John Lennon performing with Chuck Berry, which was like this huge moment. They finally met. They were playing songs. And then on the side, you have Yoko Ono just screaming because <laughs> it's like she was very clearly breaking the rules, but not in a way that anyone wanted. Like oh it was just so like you could see in Chuck Berry's face. He was just like, I cannot believe this is happening. He was so annoyed. Uh, anyway, uh, so they were able to break the rules because they didn't know what the rules were. In Detroit, two bands started to gain a lot of attention. They were known as the Stooges and MC5. They were loud, disruptive, and often political. Their concerts would often end in violence, and they started to open up the eyes of the music world to this new sound. The Stooges were led by a drummer-turned-singer named Iggy Pop. Have you heard of Iggy Pop? I have not heard of Iggy Pop. Should I have? I mean, he's kind of like a big name in rock, but no, I I guess you shouldn't really. I'm not surprised that you don't know. I know about (laughs) same thing yeah same attitude (laughs) anyway Iggy wanted to create Iggy 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 can't you see (laughs) Iggy 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 that's Biggie but (laughs) nope it's Iggy now so you're combining three different artists now that's right (laughs) anyway he wanted to create a new blues music that was not derivative of earlier stuff and took heavy influence from garage bands like the Sonics and the Kinks we played the Kinks earlier. Do you remember them at all? I think they did the You Really Got Me Now song. I mean, not by name. Okay. Anyway, they're in an earlier episode, probably the British Invasion one, if you care to learn more about them. The Stooges became known for their wild stage performances around Detroit, especially the antics of Iggy. Iggy said he took influence from Jim Morrison of The Doors, who you hated. Do you remember that guy? I do remember that guy. He's <laughs> awful. Is he the one who died in a bathtub? Allegedly. <laughs> yeah. He, he, his mm. body was at least in a bathtub, but he might have died elsewhere and they put him there. Or he might have not died. We don't know. At some point he was in a bathtub. <laughs> I would hope know. so. <laughs> you never know with this type. <laughs> uh, so Iggy took influence from Jim Morrison, who hate him or love him was a massive frontman figure like he uh, he was very charismatic but Iggy just made everything so much more extreme he was known to smear peanut butter and hamburger meat on his chest that's a health hazard oh just wait uh and cut himself with shards of glass nope and he's even credited with inventing stage diving they know about bloodborne pathogens at this time uh probably not i feel like they did when is this the 60s 70s uh, 80s 70s, yeah. 70s i don't know when that stuff i feel was like made. i feel this like is that's early pretty, 70s i feel like that's pretty recent i feel like we did know about that well here's one of their early songs called i want to be your dog kinky
That's I want to be your dog by the Stooges. I want to know more details about the dog relationship. <laughs> I, I want to know about 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 what he's picturing. I'm curious. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, the other band that laid the groundwork for punk was, well, one of the other bands. There was quite a few. Was a New York City-based group called the Velvet Underground. Do you Have you ever heard of them? Yes. Cool. They have like an iconic album cover with like a banana, I think. Okay. <laughs> they were managed by Andy Warhol. Not what? Yep. What? Isn't that an artist? Yes. They played a lot of his art shows. Like they were the house band for his art shows and he was their manager. Weird. They okay. weren't very popular in their time, so he didn't do a great job, but fair. Okay. Uh, they were super experimental, and many of their songs were described as, quote, just noise. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like a great partnership. <laughs> yeah. At the time, they were very unsuccessful, but now they were regarded as one of the most influential acts in the history of rock music. Most of the early punk rockers, especially those from the New York City scene, cite them as major influences. Who are we talking about again? The Velvet Underground. Here's their song called Sunday Morning. It's way more tame than Iggy and the Stooges. Sunday morning. This is not just like sound, like noise. No, I, I mean, this is also like a major single, one of the more popular it's ones. I think the ones that are just noise are not as popular. By my side. Early dawn. Just the wasted years so close behind. Watch out, the world's behind you. There's always someone around you who will come. Probably kids' voice. It does, yeah, it sounds like it's all. Alright, that's the Velvet Underground with Sunday morning. I like it. It's very peaceful. Yeah, (laughs) which is. Not punk. <laughs> so sometimes there's peace in the chaos. Not maybe not maybe not in the music. <laughs> anyway, the base of early punk really came from New York City in the early seventies, especially in Greenwich Village. Well, you know what Iggy says? It's all about that base. <laughs> it's Megan Trainer. Iggy, 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 <laughs> Iggy, can't you see? <laughs> We're up to four bands now. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, what about Greenwich? That's where the base of early punk came from. That's New York City in the early 70s, base. especially in Greenwich Village, okay. where bands like the New York Dolls performed. Were you going to say something? Okay, you look like we're going to say something. Just, you never know what I'm going to say <laughs> or when I'm going to say it, and neither do I. Okay. The New York Dolls were a super popular group that were known for outlandish style and performances. I like that. A few legendary bands all lived downtown and played the same clubs, most notably one named CBGB. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think CBGB stands for? It's four letters. C-B-G-B. Can't bury gonorrhea, dude. I don't know. <laughs> You were doing well until the last letter, which is a B and not a D. 
<laughs> so gonorrhea was right? <laughs> no. It stands for country bluegrass and blues. No, it doesn't. Yes, it does. <laughs> I was not going to get that. Nope. Uh, it was opened in the East Village in 1973, and it was formerly a biker bar. The owner allowed two guys to book bands, and they started to book in some rockers instead of the more like country, country bluegrass, bluegrass. They were looking for. Many of the punk pioneers all played their first shows there. Bands like Television, who were like, I would argue, the first punk, like traditional punk band. Maybe Iggy was, but. The Ramones, Blondie, Patti Smith, The Talking Heads, and Misfits all played their first shows there. There really isn't a more legendary venue than CBGB for punk music. CBGB officially closed its doors after Patti Smith's last show in October of 2006, and today the old bar is a retail store. Of course it is. Yeah. Like I I'm looked sure it up on Google Maps, and it's just like a fashion like a high-end fashion store but there's like a little plaque either above the door or on the ground that's like this used to be a very cool music venue when you say high-end fashion well i don't i don't know if it's high-end but it's like a person's name and it's their store so i associate that with higher fashion huh all right i don't know i mean it's the east village so it's super rich now mm. wasn't back then um the bands that were all playing in New York were super unified. They played the same clubs, hung out at the same places, and formed a camaraderie, which is something that you see a lot with punk. The bands all know and like each other, with the exception of the lead singer of the Sex Pistols, who hated everyone that's not him. Right. Well, that's just, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's a community of musicians, and they kind of grew up together and started to develop their own unique sounds, kind of all in this little community. That's fun. cool. Yeah. In 1974, Patti Smith went to CBGB to see a band called Television Play. They were seen as the ultimate garage rock band. The group's singer played a large role in creating the punk aesthetic. He wore his hair cropped and ragged. He wore ripped t-shirts and black leather jackets, which is kind of like traditional punk. Yeah. Patti Smith, who was a performance poet experimenting with a feminist take on rock, fell in love That's with so the fun. band Television. In June of 1974, she recorded a song called Hey Joe with the guitarist from television that many people consider to be the first punk song. Okay. Here is an ad. And after that, it will be Hey Joe by Patti Smith. Expedia. Keep in mind, she's a poet and not a singer. So it's very spoken word. Anything and I would do anything. And Patty Hurst, you standing there in front of the Simonese Liberation Army flag with your legs spread. I was wondering, were you getting it every night from a black revolutionary man and his women, or were you really dead? And now that you are on the run, what goes on in your mind? Your sister, they sit by the window. No, your mama does a sit and cry. And your daddy, well, you know what your daddy said, Patty. You know what your daddy said, Patty? He said, he said, he said, well, 60 days ago, she was such a lovely child. Now here she is with a gun in her hand. Is that all he has to say? Yeah, I'm not going to lie. Patti Smith isn't my favorite. <laughs> I, don't, I don't love her music. Or her poetry, whatever this is. 
doesn't sound very punk. At least not right now. Hey Joe by Patti Smith. It's a little bit disjointed to me. Yeah, which is punk. By the mid-1970s, punk music was taken over by a group called the Ramones. They highlighted that signature look that was created by the television singer of ripped jeans and black leather jackets. Which they say their jeans were ripped because that's all they could afford. So, Back before you had to like buy really expensive yeah. <laughs> ripped jeans like now. That's a- Largely because of that style that they helped create. Oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> um, they drew on sources ranging from the Stooges to the Beach Boys to create a super unique sound. They stripped their songs down to the barest minimum. Uh, I don't think there was a single song that was over three minutes long that they ever recorded. I could be wrong about that, but most of them were like 2.30. Why? Because it's just, that's stripping it down. Like, you just you get in, you get out. <laughs> so that's what it is. They would okay. shout one, two, three, four at the beginning of every song as if they couldn't even understand basic rhythm. <laughs> Does that mean that they shouted it, like, off beat? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just like, as if they were just reminding each other, like, this is what one, two, three, four, <laughs> like, reminding each other of what to do. They played their first show at CBGB in August of 1974. By the end of the year, they had played 74 shows, each of them about 17 minutes long. Which isn't bad for an opener, I guess, but like, it's not good. <laughs> it's, it's not long. I'm just trying to understand, like, I guess it's just the, if the music has a point, it's like, yeah. I'm going to say it, you're going to listen, and then we're going to be done here. Yeah. It's like... Very interesting. Well, I mean, remember Tommy Ramone's quote earlier where he said people would just like prattle on on these long solos. So they were very much about like cutting out all the frill and just getting it, getting it done, getting out. But after seeing them for the first time, a music critic said, quote, I couldn't believe people were doing this. The dumb brattiness, end quote. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. In 1975, television released a record called Little Johnny Jewel, which was the wider world's first look at this band that were legends in the punk scene. I forgot that that was the band name for a minute. Oh, yeah. And I was like, television did what now? (laughs) Who's the entity of television? It took me a second. The rest of the punk bands weren't really recording much at the time, so the music wasn't getting beyond these clubs that the bands were all like playing in. It wasn't stretching beyond the community. So this record was a turning point for punk music. Yeah, interesting. Here is Little Johnny Jewel by television. Those cheekbones. He had no decision. He's just trying to tell Why does it say part one and two? Is the song so short that you have to do parts one and two? Just make a longer song. <laughs> I don't think television was known for the short songs. That was a Ramones thing. Since the Ramones basically spawned the rest of the world punk, the rest of the world kind of took it. No, no, not today. All that guy ever said. 
Nej. Yeah, that's television. This is with their song Little Johnny Jewel. I'm not a big fan of television either. At this time, punk was more about the culture than the music. The bands didn't have a definite sound. They were just part of the same culture. And as you can tell, a lot of them weren't really focused on making their music great. They were just kind of like making stuff because they could. Which is so interesting because like you think about like music as a form of like spreading information and Mm -hmm. like unifying people and like having like this aesthetic or this like like it groups people together like and that's cool and that's good but they're using it like solely for that instead of being like it's a it's an auditory medium like it should sound good (laughs) well it's kind of (laughs) cool that i think it's cool that at, at least at this point they didn't care about making money with it they were like, we're just like, we're a group of people just hanging out. Like, so we're going to go on stage and like play this music and just have fun with it. Like, I don't yeah. care if this sounds good and other people buy it because it's not for them. It's for our little thing. So, I mean, I guess I get that. It changes as people begin recording more. Right. But, because it's an auditory media. Like, yeah. you can still like, like the art and it doesn't have to be for everyone. But like, I yeah. don't know. Maybe it's just not for me. This maybe is that's what I'm learning. Also coming off. Remember, it's coming off the back of disco where everything is so commercial and yeah. like standardized. So like people hearing this and being like, this is completely di- like this is completely different than everything I know. Like that's got to be like a shock to the system, which I yeah. think is a lot of what the punk point. was trying to do. In 1976, Punk took a massive leap forward with the release of the Ramones' debut album. The album is largely seen as establishing the punk genre and popularizing it. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame said about this album, quote, When the Ramones hit the street in 1976 with their self-titled first album, the rock scene in general had become somewhat bloated and narcissistic. The Ramones got back to basics, simple, speedy, stripped-down rock and roll songs. With the narcissism. (laughs) Voice, guitar, bass, drums, no makeup, no egos, no light shows, no nonsense. And though the subject matter was sometimes dark, emanating from a sullen adolescent basement of the mind, the group also brought cartoonish, fun, and high-energy excitement back to rock and roll. End quote. What an interesting... Yeah. Okay. I think punk music really only makes sense in the... Like, in the context of what it's coming out of. Yeah. Because, like, this is coming out of the era of, like, Queen and Kiss, where it's, like, arena rock, massive light shows and soaring guitar solos. And punk is very much more like, no, like, this, we're just, like, high energy, (laughs) like, rebellious. I don't know. It's like a rebellion against rock, which was a rebellion against people. Yeah. It's a very interesting genre. That's why I like it so much. (laughs) Like, fun to dig into what's going on. Yeah, okay. It's really impossible to say all of the artists and genres that this album directly influenced. But we'll talk about that a little bit more next episode when we do the full story of the Ramones, which is a fun one that I'm excited for. Cool. But here is probably their most famous song from this album called Blitzkrieg Bop. Do you know Blitzkrieg Bop? Not by name. Really? Do you know Dragonstone? Get a performance. 
It's never like, I don't know, I just, you know how sometimes I don't hear? Yeah. <laughs> like, I just was like, I just don't know what this says, and it makes sense to other people. It's like, what? Well, this is even a little bit sped up for some reason. Like, the recorded, the recorded version of the song I is slower. slowed down. I do, like, yeah, but... Does anyone right. actually know the lyrics to this? Because as I'm listening to it, I'm like, I don't know any of the words. Shoot them in the like, back now. They're all revved up and ready to go. I know, like, I can get some of it, but I've never, I, I don't think I've ever gotten a single phrase of that song. Like, it is literally like simish in my head. <laughs> well, you got hey ho, let's go. I've got the hey ho, let's go. I do have that. I didn't know that was them. Yeah. It's like probably their biggest song, I would say. They have a few mm-hmm. other ones, but. So while all of this was happening in New York, a punk movement started to grow up in London. A guy named Malcolm, who unofficially managed the New York Dolls for a while, moved back to London in 1965, heavily inspired by the New York music scene that he had left. He opened a clothing store named Sex that gained a reputation for its outlandish fashion. It was very leather and studs and latex. Very sex. That kind of, yes. <laughs> very like fetishist type stuff. Members of a band called The Strand were frequent visitors to the store. Malcolm started to manage them, and they started looking for a new singer. Another sex regular who called himself Johnny Rotten, which is not true. I figured out writing what? the... Because we, we do an episode on this band after we do the Ramones. And then is we it have Sex bonus. Pistols? Yes. And he didn't name himself Johnny Rotten. Another a member of the band did after seeing how bad his teeth were. He called him oh, Johnny Rotten. Oh, no. <laughs> That's awful. And it just stuck. Uh, but he auditioned, and he won the job as the singer. They adopted a new name and played their first gig as the Sex Pistols in 1975. In the, se- in the, in the I, I almost said sex shop, but like in the sex shop? They never played at the store. Damn. I don't think it was set up to do that. <laughs> we talk about their first show, or one of them, and it's fun. Okay, can't wait. They got beat up by the headlining band. Did they? Oh they no! I don't want to see. They I were, almost asked if they deserved it, but like then I'm did. like, well, no one deserves v- violence. They were. They borrowed the headlining band's equipment and were trashing it on stage. So the headlining band pulled the plug on them, mm-hmm. and then they got into a brief altercation. Is what it's listed okay. as, on stage in front of the crowd. Okay. Anyway, they're they're a wild trip. <laughs> Sex that's really are crazy. Rude. Yeah. Like yeah, that's the, how disrespectful. Are. That's like the least of the disrespectful things they do. Why are people this way? <laughs> the Sex Pistols are they're they're a fun story to tell. So I'm excited about that. Oh episode. my gosh. Anyway, they found a small but massively dedicated following. The Sex Pistols became the defining band of the UK punk scene. Other bands like The Clash also became large bands in the punk scene, but every other band sort of orbited around the Sex Pistols. They became quite famous for their love of chaos. They'd often work their audiences up into a near riot every single time they played. That seems like psychopathic. Like it actually genuinely seems psychopathic. Which I think is kind of the point. we'll, We'll get into it in the Sex pistols episode but okay the manager we mentioned malcolm he was 
I think he viewed the band as a performance art piece and he was just trying to see how outrageous he could make it. And then Johnny Rotten was very suggestible. So once he fell under Malcolm's uh, wing, he was kind of like manipulated into like, <laughs> like he stirred. It's, it's a wild thing. We'll get to it. It's fun. Okay. <laughs> I don't know that that's the word that I'm feeling. It has like ties to a French revolution. It's a whole thing. What? It's a whole thing. <laughs> when you say a French revolution. <laughs> no, not the French revolution. It literally Different is, time. Yeah. It's like a. A revolution of artists who like just tried to make chaos. Like it's it's a weird thing. <laughs> okay. okay. Anyway, uh, Malcolm saw them and positioned them as the forefront of the youth culture. They released a song called "Anarchy in the UK," which became a punk classic. They also released a song called "God Save the Queen," which became mm-hmm. one of the most censored songs in the history of the UK. I don't know how much I'm going to align with their music. Like, I like it's cool to talk about like political music and everything, mm-hmm. but then when it's anarchy for the sake of anarchy, yeah. like what what are we doing here? I like, don't think they even. I mean, keep in mind they're like 20 years old. Like they're 20 year olds do actually have a sense of how to treat other people with respect. Believe sure, it or not, but I'm talking more <laughs> about the political ideas. When you're that, <laughs> like at that age, you're more just like, no, burn it all down. Who cares about any, like throw everything out. So like, it's kind of like the extreme of that. Okay. Anyway, here is Anarchy in the UK. New censoring things. It's <laughs> not a bad song. Like I like this song. You want to know why? Why? This sounds like something back to my little brother wrote. (laughs) Genuinely. Alright, that's Anarchy in the UK by the Sex Pistols. The Sex Pistols, although they were the forefront of the UK punk scene, only released one album and were only a band for three years. What? I'm shocked. (laughs) I am. Like, they're. The impact they had on music is massive for only being a band for three years. Like, it's wild what they were able to do in those three years. It kind of seems like one of those, like, supernova moments where it's like. They burned a little bit too hot. This is not gonna. Yeah. Especially, like, I keep saying we'll get to it, but we'll get to it. Everything that goes down with Sid Vicious, it's wild. They that sounds up. like the name of the kid from Toy Story. Because <laughs> it is. Yeah, I think he's probably, probably because modeled of... after him. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay, Easter yeah, egg. That's, you remember Sid and Nancy? I told you that story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that, that's Sid Vicious. Oh. Yeah. He's like, he is the poster boy of this era of punk, and it did not end well for him. I think we get to it a little bit. They broke up in 1978 after a turbulent tour of the United States. It was their first U.S. tour. 
1979, their bassist, who was seen as the superstar of punk and named Sid Vicious, was arrested for allegedly stabbing his girlfriend to death. While out on bail, he overdosed on heroin. So that was kind of the end of the Sex Pistols. <laughs> the other members are still alive. They've done like a few reunion things here and there, but Johnny Rotten... They're all still alive? Yeah. Johnny Rotten, the singer, is probably the most like conceited person. A lot of people love him because he will like say exactly what he's thinking. So people are like, he's still rebelling against media and stuff. He's just so conceited. No, yeah, that's just... That's just narcissism. Yeah. To be able to say whatever is on your mind and like be self-assured that you're right. Like, yeah, that's just narcissism. Like I watched a panel with him, one of the not founding members of the Ramones, but one of the like a Ramone from yeah. early in the day and then several other like punk legends. And Johnny Rotten was just like would not let anyone else talk. And oh, my was God. Just, like, and then like him and the Ramone kept like getting into little like heated little back and forth. Cause so toxic. Yeah, because it's the Ramones really want them to know that they came first, but the Sex Pistols think that they like we didn't listen to any of that. We did our own thing. So it's just, it's a whole it's a whole punk beef. Anyway, we'll get to that in their various episodes. Oh my god! Meanwhile, this is making me really hate punk. <laughs> I mean, it's the same as happens in any music, really. Just people like being yeah, conceited, and wanting to think they're original, and they started this when. It didn't. They didn't. Meanwhile, The Clash, led by Joe Strummer, really pushed punk into the mainstream of the UK with their songs like London Calling and Should I Stay or Should I Go. Just because I love The Clash, I'm going to play their song Yay. London Calling. Yay. You, you've heard one. You've heard The Clash, course, right? Yeah. Should I Stay or Should I Go? Yeah. Everyone knows that song. Have you heard London Calling? Yeah. Top comment. This song makes me want to fight an invisible man in an electrical hardware store. <laughs> That's so specific. I think The Clash is probably my favorite of, of the early It's got a bit of melody to it. Like it's got yeah. a little bit more structure and a little bit more pleasing sound to it. Oh, I get that comment now. It's from the TV show The Boys. That's what that's like one of the scenes in the first episode of The Boys. Anyway, that's oh. London Calling. Yeah, and this is the song that's playing, playing when they he's fighting an invisible man in a hardware store or like an electronic store. I'm surprised that it took you that long it's to like unlock that, that memory. Episode. Because that's such a specific description. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess I get it. Yeah, music will do that. By the late 70s, punk was no longer a little thing. It was an established musical genre. 
it exploded into the mainstream, and it started to split into various different subgenres. The second wave of punk music started around 1977, which is only a few years after the first wave. Yeah. So, I don't know. All right. By this point, punk spread to California, and a ton of bands started to crop up out there like The Zeros, Black Flag, and The Weirdos. Also, a new crop of bands heavily inspired by the early CBGB days cropped up in New York like The Misfits, who started to play a type of punk that was later called horror punk. I'm not going to like that. No, I don't think we play any of their songs, but yeah, I mean, it's it's what it sounds like. <laughs> a little Bory. bit darker. Yeah, maybe not as much as like metal now, but for the time, yeah. The California bands were very diverse. They ranged from more commercial pop-friendly pop sounds to aggressive and wild, which was known as hardcore punk. The California punk scene came from massive glam rock in the early 70s, and mm-hmm. many of the major figures in that scene played a role in the punk scene. That sounds fun. In 1975, a band of, teenager, a band of teenage girls formed called The Runaways. They were one of the first bands that released punk rock music, and they featured Joan Jett, who was, like, famous after that. Okay, mm-hmm. I didn't know if you knew her. Mm-hmm. The group started with Joan and the drummer both met a producer who helped them find other girls to round out the group. They were quickly signed to Mercury Records and went on tour, opening for massive acts like Van Halen and Tom Petty. So cool. Pretty quickly, they established themselves as members of the punk scene by hanging out with the Ramones, the Dead Boys, the Sex Pistols, and Generation X. Ah, they had to deal with so much shit. Oh, yeah. 100%. By 1978, they had started to have disagreements about money and the direction of the band, so they officially broke up by 1979. They only existed as a band for three years, but they paved the way for so many other female artists, especially in the rock genre. Rock was, and in many ways still is, a massively male-dominated genre. So the Runaways and the members' later careers opened a window for women to kind of get into that genre. Thank you, ladies. And their their first album is probably one of my favorite early punk albums. Like, it's so good. Here is their song, Cherry Bomb, which you've probably heard. It's been in various movies. They look so good. Cherry Bomb by The Runaways. How do you feel? I mean, it's not a great song, but I like them <laughs> a lot. <laughs> I like it. I think it's a good song. By 1978, there was a massive division in California punk. 
The punks in the suburbs of L.A. tend to focus more on hardcore punk with bands like Black Flag and Fear. The bands in Hollywood tended to be more artsy. The Hollywood punks disliked that the hardcore punks were more narrow in what they allowed to be called punk, and they were more violent. You tracking? I'm tracking. Okay. While the hardcore punks thought the Hollywood punks were not intense or serious enough about just things in general. (laughs) (laughs) So dumb. By 1979, the hardcore punks won the war, and L.A. had been completely taken over by the hardcore punks. Oh, my God. Some of the old L.A. punk bands went on to mainstream success, and some broke up, but hardcore now dominated the state. In the early 80s, a lot of the punk bands that are still associated with that California sound started to gain nationwide popularity. Bands like Black Flag and the Dead Kennedys showcased the hardcore side of California punk, while bands like Descendants showcased the surf the surf punk style that tended to be a bit popier. Popier. Did I say that right? Sure. Okay. And I would say that this like popier surf punk Surf Punk was the predecessor to pop punk. Surf punk does not I can't I guess what? It's just a little bit more melodic punk. Like think the Beach Boys surf music okay, mixed okay, with okay. the aggressive punk. So like it's that, pop punk. That made more sense. It's yeah. yellow card. It's yeah. like it's that it's the early that. It's the surf that was weird, but I guess. So the descendants, okay. even though I'm wearing a Dead Kennedys shirt currently, <laughs> descendants are my favorite of this like era of California punk. Mm-hmm. They were fronted by a professional molecular biologist who like left the band for a bit when he went to college and they released an album called Milo goes to college. Cause his name was Milo. Oh my God. <laughs> he like has later come back and is now fronting this punk band full time after being a professional molecular biologist That's for amazing. a while. Uh, so I'll play one of their songs because they are my favorite. It's a song called hope. This is really album art. Yeah, that's that's the singer like that's modeled after him. It's Milo. It's like this sounds like early pop punk, right? Yeah. Like these guys very much inspired like Blink One Eighty Two and Green Day and that kind of like early pop punk scene. The Descendants, or just Descendants. I keep calling them the, but it's just Descendants. By the mid-1980s, many of the major punk bands started to break up or go in the direction of metal or hard rock music. Bands like Black Flag and Dead Kennedys, who carried the California scene in a lot of ways, had completely broken up. In many ways, punk music was set up to fail. At the very least, it was never intended to be mainstream popular. Punk music was all about subverting the mainstream. It was about tight community, and when it started to get that mainstream success, 
it lost the edge that made it punk. Punk rockers also had a bad habit of gatekeeping. Yeah. They decided what punk was, and anyone who wanted to try something even a little bit different, maybe a little bit progressive, a little bit better to push the genre forward, Mm -hmm. didn't fit in. And that led to many of the bands splitting off into subgenres when they wanted to kind of like evolve their sound and try new things. Yeah. Because you can't just keep doing the same thing forever. So if you don't allow anyone to change, then there's going to be no one left. When pop punk started to emerge in the 90s, which was kind of like the rebirth of this genre in many ways, the traditional punk bands refused to accept them. Punk music still exists, but you won't really hear it on the radio. It's still underground, which is kind of like according to many punk rock purists, it's where it should be. So I guess they're happy if, with if it. They're in, if, you know, if the people who are playing the music enjoy it, then great. Yeah. But some people argue it is only there because punk purists won't let it grow into anything. Which is, both are probably true. Like, if you look at the roots of punk, it probably is supposed to be like this underground thing. Yeah. But also, it can't grow beyond that because they won't let it. Yeah, they want it to be underground, and the second that it's not, it's not okay. Punk music has spawned countless genres. Everything from alternative to new wave to post-punk to screamo. We'll get into some of those other genres as they come up. By the mid-1980s, this early stage of punk rock, the most pure punk rock, according to some, was over. As Rolling Stone wrote in 1985, quote, Primal punk is passe. The best of the American punk rockers have moved on. They have learned how to play their instruments. They have discovered melody. Guitar solos and lyrics that are more than shouted political slogans. Oh my god. Some of them have even discovered the Grateful Dead. End quote. Oh my god, that is so funny. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. A plus writing. By the end of the eighties, many of these bands were just called alternative rock. The spirit of punk has reemerged in major ways over the past few years, like the grunge scene, spearheaded by Nirvana in the nineties. And then I would even say now like might be a little bit controversial, but I think the like SoundCloud rapper scene is very much the spirit yeah. of punk. Yeah. It's kind of like subverting that mainstream of like Ariana Grande and Post Malone. They're like sort of hip hop, but like the SoundCloud rap is just like, no, we're like stripping away all of that fancy production stuff. We're just to the heart of it. So like I would say that's kind of embodying the spirit of punk. Yep. And it doesn't always sound great. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, yeah (laughs) so many of the underground aggressive anti-mainstream genres owe their origin to punk rock so that's punk how you feel about it i'm all for subverting yeah genres and and the way that people think but (laughs) if you want to call it music please set it to a melody (laughs) literally you can say what you want to say but set it to a melody that's yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, I love stop gatekeeping. <laughs> that's true. I think that's a major problem. I do love this like early punk. I like a lot of the songs. Like, I like a lot of the bands in the songs, but I think I like it more because like the personalities and the stories associated with it are yeah. so big that it's so fun to like learn and talk about. But also, just like I think every once in a while, the music scene does need just a shot in the arm. To be like, okay, things are getting way too, like, watered down and commercial and too 
fluffy and like it needs something to kind of like wake it up and be like let's get back to the heart of music's trying to unite people and tell a story and do this it's not just about making money yeah so i like it because of that too that's fair if i yeah yeah and i guess that was the goal yeah or at least just within their community they probably didn't care about the wider world when they yeah. started it but like within their community they were like yeah like let's get back to this raw stuff well that's the thing then it's like are you then just talking if it's not for you know the world maybe it, are you just like you're just he- hearing yourself talk like what's the point of shouting your like your your worldview if it's only going to be met with the same people who are interested in that worldview like it's like, i think stop it's gatekeeping that like come on i think it's more they might never have expected it to be mainstream like the mainstream wanted to listen to them and fall in line then great but they were more reacting to it and just like kind of like i don't know it's whatever but we'll talk more about punk when we talk about the ramones and kind of see their background and where they came from and then we talk about the sex pistols and that's a wild story yeah so you even want to miss that one that's pretty i'm i'm intrigued all right the ramones are fun too they're, yeah they're, they're cool guys any any last comments on punk I'm going to get so mad at these men. <laughs> Probably the Sex Pistols, yeah, but not the Ramones. The Ramones are cool. Okay. Well, one of them you might get a little bit mad at at one point. <sighs> okay. And the rest of the Sex Pistols that aren't Johnny Rotten or Sid Vicious are pretty cool guys. Well, they became pretty cool guys. <laughs> you, you're not. Well, one of them just the... You keep saying, well... <laughs> one of them, the guitarist... One of like the founding members, I think the guy who named him Johnny Rotten, he one of his famous stories is that he stole David Bowie's microphone from the last Ziggy Stardust shows. That was his thing. He got into a lot of trouble for stealing things, and most of the instruments he learned on were stolen from random bands. So like they got into a lot of trouble, but they weren't like mean-ish. Okay. <laughs> any other thoughts? <laughs> All right, that was punk. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye. down, expected. The wheat is good. Engines stuck on him. But I have no fear. Cause London is drowning. I.